attention, attention please. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is on the air. Welcome to the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. My name is Christopher Thomason. I am your host for this and many, many more trips down memory lane. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is a podcast dedicated to collecting the stories, the history, the memories of Camp Ojibwa for Boys in Eagle River, Wisconsin, founded 1928. This week on the podcast, Jerry Wanks Walenka. Another one of the boys of summer or the old-timers, as we lovingly call them. Wanks and I had a great conversation, a lot of fun. You're going to dig that. The Camp Ojibwe History Podcast National Tour continues. I'm coming to you live from Spokane, Washington, this late Sunday evening. Had a nice day yesterday catching up with Andy Ross and Lou Mager. And then today swung by and saw Rusty Zwick. So you're going to get to hear those in the future. But for now, I'm coming back across the country, across the north. So if you're out there and you're in, say, one of the Dakotas or Minneapolis or, heck, maybe even Wisconsin, and you think you ought to be on the podcast, let me know. Drop me a line. Okay, enough of that. Here we go. Jerry Walenka on the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. State your name and years at camp. Jerry Walenka. Uh, started camp in 1953, cabin five, and uh, was there for five years and moved to cabin eight, cabin 12, and cabin 13. Nice. And did you do any years as a staff man? No. Excellent. Uh, so tell me about how you came to learn about Camp Ojibwa. Uh, I started camp... Uh, when I was four and a half years old, I started going to overnight camp. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> wow, that is very young. <laughs> well, it, it, was, it was young. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, in a way, I was kind of, uh, uh, I was kind of uh, a mascot at camp because I also uh, got involved way back in those years, which was uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the 40s, uh, boxing. Mm. And uh, I was a pretty good boxer, and uh, I learned at a very early age that if you could knock somebody down, uh, you know, that uh, you sure could win a lot of approval Mm. from other kids. And so I liked that uh, to the extent that it got me in trouble as I (laughs) entered uh, elementary school and... uh, uh, I went to a couple of different camps, and along the way, I met uh, a guy who I became buddies with named uh, Lloyd Marks, Hmm. and uh, Lloyd and I, uh, uh, our fathers were very close, and one day we were sat down and we were told about something called Camp Ojibwa, 
uh, where there were a lot of athletics going on and various other things. And uh, Lloyd and I came to Ojibwa um, and wound up spending a lot of time on the same teams, even some of the collegiate weight teams. Hmm. So uh, that's kind of kind of my history. Uh, uh, at a very early age, uh, uh, I was thrown into the water, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. Uh, and I was told that you need to learn how to swim outside of the house. Hmm. So... Um, that pretty much what brought me to Ojibwe over the years. Nice. But I always went to overnight camp. Hmm. Now, when you first came to Ojibwe, you were still taking the train to get there? Took the train, and uh, probably some of the most amazing remember, you know, rememberings that we had were the ding, ding, ding as we went through stations and everybody oh. looking out the window to see if there were hobos. Oh, wow. And, uh, <laughs> And so we didn't sleep a lot on the train going up. And, and it was it made, a pretty long trip, right? I mean, it was a long trip, but then as, uh, as I got older and I started coming back to camp as an old timer, mm-hmm. just like the water fountains, which became much smaller, uh, <laughs> I began to realize that the miles uh, were a lot different. It seemed like we were taking a train across the country. Right. And, of course, you sleep, and you're in the sleeper, and, you know, a lot of fun, a lot of crazy stuff went on uh, at night on those train rides, and uh, took a couple days to, to to kind of rejuvenate once you landed in Eagle yeah. River. You know, but, but I remember landing in Eagle River and being picked up and uh, uh, meeting uh, what was a whole new world. Mm. Can you remember that sort of first time, that very first time getting to camp and what it was like, what you felt like, what you, what the things that stuck out? Yeah, uh, I was really scared. Mm. Um, uh, at a young age, I realized that I had, that I was very nearsighted. Um, so I had glasses, and in those days, the glasses were thick as bottles, as Coke bottles. Sure. And uh, I was starting to... Uh, get pudgy uh, at that point, and, uh, uh, and I was really concerned about whether or not I was going to be uh, liked mm. uh, and how much fun it would be. Right, of course. So uh, there was uh, a lot of concern, and I really was fortunate because along the way uh, there were counselors uh, who like Turtle Harris and uh, Don Trail and uh, uh, Herb Harris was Turtle Harris, who uh, uh, who were there not only with their athleticism and go get them win collegiate week, but they were also there at times when it was really important to have a shoulder mm. uh, to kind of. Uh, have somebody to talk to, yeah. somebody, because the bottom line is, is that, you know, I was a kid who was uh, still uh, experimenting with being away from home and how that all is supposed to happen. Yeah. And in those days, I mean, from what I've heard from some of the other guys, it, the staff could be, some of them could really just be there for themselves a lot. And so those guys, like you mentioned, like Turtle, um, that also took the time to really care about the kids and weren't there just for themselves. 
stick out. Right. Staff were there for themselves. Remember, these were still guys who were college, you know, these are, uh, a lot of them were in a purely or pretty purely an athletic mode. As a matter of fact, it was as likely when somebody was being shamed, Mm -hmm. which was uh, a regular part of how people uh, had fun with each other, was finding some direction to put shame in and Mm. gathering up. Um, More often than I would have been, more than often than I would have liked to have seen, uh, counselors would get on the bandwagon. Mm. So it was really wonderful when uh, you were fortunate enough to to, to land a counselor who uh, drew some lines and uh, who was there to protect. With that being said, an important part of camp was also to uh, to really build a shit screen, to uh, a protective yeah. uh, cover, so that uh, when things came your way, you toughened up enough to uh, uh, know how to deal with it, and uh, to even once in a while not take it personally. Yeah, yeah, I think that's definitely. I mean, even to this day, I think that's one of the most valuable things at camp is. Obviously, uh, I think camp has evolved and the staff have evolved, and it's maybe not as uh, uh, rough as it was 50 years ago. But that idea that it toughens you up and it makes you learn how to be, you know, yeah. a kid who can be independent and can make yeah. his own decisions and can get his feelings hurt and move Absolutely. on. Absolutely. And, and there's a guy who I've gotten to know very well over the last many years, Glenn, who's come up with his family to mm. Ojibwa. And for me, he really epitomizes uh, the the deep, loving, caring, uh, present, me-is-not-first kind of grown-up that kids uh, thrive with. Yeah. And uh, where they they have a chance to develop new skills without being force-fed, and mm. where they do it in an environment that's where shame is not being encouraged. Right. And it's Absolutely. not always easy for a camp to attract, you know, because you've got a pecking order going on at senior levels along the way. Mm-hmm. Certainly. And, and nobody wants to be caught being too kind to anybody, so to speak, although that's changing Right, now. yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. When I interviewed Elliot Friedman, uh, we talked about this. And one of the things from the old days that's changed dramatically is the number of staff in a cabin. So in those early days, you might only have one SC and one JC. Maybe you have three total staff. Whereas now it's common for a cabin to have five or six staff. And so it takes away the influence that one staff guy could have if one guy's particularly nasty or something. And there's more time for one-on-one interaction right and uh that's so important in in the experience uh and one of the amazing benefits i think of one of the amazing gifts that the the old timers bring up to camp is that we probably spend i know that i spend probably half of my time up there uh interacting with any kid from cabin one two five seven Mm -hmm. we even go in and uh, in what was cleanup time, showing them the Olympic uh, broom sweep. Oh, sure. <laughs> Making up the Olympic, and how to hold the broom. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, 
not so much what goes on, although a lot of it is with fun, which right. is the world children live in, but having them be able to have fun with adults that they don't know. Hmm. Uh, more and more over the years, I've seen numbers of individual children at camp, whether they're counselors, junior counselors, they're campers, um, come up to all of us for private time. Mm. There's a real powerful mentoring component that um, took place, and, and I think it's a comfort zone for a lot of the kids. They really get a kick out of seeing the old guys uh, look older and still laugh and play. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, that's it true. gives it gives them permission to do that as they get older. Yeah, it's it's always, you know, I've said it a million times and and it's part of what sort of sprung this this whole idea, the podcast and the project. The way that you guys can come to camp and connect with a 9-year-old kid. <laughs> and it's just how it is. It's just fine. And that 9-year-old kid knows what you're talking about and you know what they're talking about. You have shared experiences, the shared place. Yep. It just all makes sense. Uh, while we're talking about those guys, uh, so the boys of summer are the old timers. Uh, you're a part of that group. Tell me how you kind of got connected with those guys and, and what brought, started bringing you back to camp. I bumped into Bernie Kerman at the Holiday Inn uh, probably in 1980. Hmm. Uh, uh, trying to think if it was before or after but I've been you know I've been coming back to camp for I haven't counted it exactly but I'm pretty sure that I've been back here about uh, 35 years now wow. uh, with the group uh, it's a long time you know somewhere in that 30 plus range of years and uh, uh, Bernie she said, Jerry Walenka, how are you, Wanks? And that was the first time that anybody threw Wanks in my, and it stuck. So that's my nickname among the old timers. We, yeah. You know, there's, we all have little nicknames. And <laughs> it's funny. We don't spend a lot of, we don't spend much time at all together during the rest of the year. Hmm. We step back into other worlds, but the bond that's built for us over the years is pretty extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, just from those four days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it's really almost four days each year, um, where uh, whoever we are outside of those days is so secondary. Mm. Uh, the interface with the kids, being in that environment, laughing. We, 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 we laugh a lot, which is uh, uh, huge medicine. I mean, it's, it's such medicine, especially when you're reaching into, and I'm 73 this year, I'm now the oldest guy in the crew, mm. uh, especially when this stops working or that, or you need an operation or stuff goes on. Sure. And uh, you, you're so glad that you made the cutoff so far. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so fun having you guys there. And the, 
I mean, even this year, cabin 14. Uh, so I'm, I'm in cabin 14. The dads loves those guys. And, uh, you know, George was like, I'm bringing up the Stevenson basketball DVD. You think any of your guys will want to watch it? Sure. Probably. And sure enough, they all sit down and sit down with him. And I don't know how many, if you got, if any of you other guys came, but just sat in together and watched the DVD together, catching up on sports back home and just perfect. And so the way that you guys, the, the way the connections work and the way the kids look forward to you guys coming and, and it's like another event for them for the summer. Like, Oh, the, it's the old timers weekend. This is great. We're going to get to see these guys running around doing some shtick talking. Yeah. It's so wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And Bernie and Bernie Kerman, uh, is an amazing character. I mean, he's almost like, uh, uh, silly putty mm. in terms of the way he makes his face get distorted, in terms of the way he looks, in terms of the way his legs bend <laughs> with his white socks and his shorts and his T-shirts and his haircut and his Republican conservative <laughs> uh, 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 rambling. <laughs> It's so funny you say that. When he came into my office uh, to do a little uh, bit for the camp radio thing, there's a picture of Obama from a Rolling Stone magazine (laughs) up on the wall. He's like, I'm leaving unless you take this down. (laughs) Right. Well, and and what's funny is that years and years ago, uh, when I was at a health club uh, down in the middle of the city, and I... uh, and I was in the middle of growing uh, uh, a not-for-profit for high school inner-city kids, mm. which is the first time that I had done that during the 90s, and that's been a lot of my work has been not-for-profits and helping kids in underserved areas. Uh, a close ally of, of, of mine was Obama. He was lockered next to me, and I used to bust his chops all the mm. time about where's all the black guys who I want the young kids to connect with when they come to the club here it's like they've escaped the neighborhood and so when bernie learned about that you know he wasn't he wasn't very happy and always gave me (laughs) you know about how my 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 buddy which is not my buddy uh was ruining the the but uh you know we all have different politics sure uh in 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 the crew and uh uh um, and probably, you know, kind of skipping to a different area, something really important that happened for me at Ojibwa. Uh, when I was 20 years old, uh, I was out in a field, and somebody's gun went off. And uh, I took the double-barrel 12-gauge, and I lost my foot that day. Mm. And out of nowhere, an ambulance showed up in the middle of no place to take me to a hospital and uh, it really changed my life I was uh, I was 20 years old and so exercise and keeping my body from really being crippled up became probably more important to me than it did to to a lot of other people sure uh, and when I came to Ojibwa I started swimming across the lake every year mm. from uh, from our shores to one of the resorts completely across the lake. Uh, and then it extended to going there and then cutting across the lake to the left and coming back home. So it was three times across the lake as, mm. the, 
as the triangle. Wow. And it was my Rocky thing each year. Glenn and other people uh, uh, rode for me because it was very important, you know, with motorboats out to, and I used to get crazy because I didn't want to get killed. I remember Bernie one year rode for me and a couple of nice-looking women were in a boat nearby and he starts going off on his own towards the women i wanted to come out i wanted to come out of the water and kill him you know because i'm hearing motorboats and i'm yelling putz bring the boat back here uh so uh it was just this year that i stopped doing the across the lake swim because i've been losing some use of my right arm now mm because of bad cervical stenosis, all coming from this shotgun and the loss of a limb when I was 20 years old. But all things considered, I'm, you know, for an older guy, I'm still cooking pretty good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's incredible that the, uh, coming up and doing the across the lake swim. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it, and, and so it really was each year it, it's, I go, yes, because I knew that I still had the, the right stuff to go into the next year. Yeah, So it became a ritual for me. That was an an important part of going up there, as was taking private time and taking one of the cars and going out on the side roads and the highway to just be alone a little bit. Mm. Uh, So over the year, there would be a little shtick put into the video, where's Wanks? Because, you know, I had a way of disappearing which was me taking some alone time to, sure. to sort of, uh, way, you know, to sort of balance it with the time that I had of going from one field to the next field to the next game and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I appreciate that. I've been going to camp now. This, is my 16th, this was my 16th summer. And it's as important for me to have my alone time at camp as it is to have the sort of social interaction time. That's a big part of it. Yeah. And uh, I think that's okay. I think, you know, some people are there to be super social all the time and, some people take a little private time with it and, and yep. appreciate some of the other stuff. So, yeah. Uh, tell me about how, so you were not a camper for, or you were at camp for a relatively short time. I mean, I guess in the scheme of yeah, things, five years. Um, what was it about that time that sort of stayed with you that made you want to come back and then become someone who came as an old time, as an old timer for 30 years? I really wanted to come back and, experience coming back to a place that had all kinds of wonderful, neat victories, mm. mostly about ball games and collegiate week, uh, but also uh, some of uh, the pain that, that came with uh, 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 making it work. In, mm. in, in larger group settings, and I wanted to come back as an adult, and I, I wanted to come back and uh, uh, and I wanted to see how it felt coming in this way. Mm. And, uh, uh, and once I started coming up, um, I kept coming. Uh, and it's funny, but... Uh, some of the most special time that I have when I go up with the old timers uh, is the one-on-one time. A lot of it with Bernie mm-hmm. and individual 
segments, you know, with other guys where we check in and, and it's different than when you're in the group. Yeah. In the group mentality. Absolutely. Kind of it's really interesting. So even at this age and at this stage, um, the, uh, uh, the, you know, I'm sensitive to those issues. Yeah. You know, you hit on something really interesting there. There, we talk about the camp bond and of course, you know, the camp friendships and how all that stuff lasts forever. And it really does. But that difference between the sort of group camp love and that one-on-one check-in that really is valuable. I mean, I, I certainly feel that there are guys at camp who are my great camp friends and maybe we'll text each other during the year. Maybe we won't, but we'll get to camp and we'll have our hugs and everything will be great. But then at some point in the next week or so, we're going to get one-on-one and we're going to catch up. And it's going to be that check-in you talk about. It's because they know and you know. You remember the details from the time you did it last time. And you have these bits of these stories. So you go all this time and, and yeah, it's a camp friendship. But then there's this other layer that's down deeper where you, you really do have a connection. And yep. you know, and you can be so honest with each other because of this. And in a camp setting, from my experience back then and even now, even though it's changed somewhat, it's much safer, mm-hmm. less vulnerable. Yes. To go one-on-one with stuff at a heart level, or that's really meaningful, uh, than it is when you're in a group, and uh, it may be easy for somebody on the group to, in a not-sensitive way, jump on a sensitive point. Yep. And make it the subject of a laugh. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a great way to put it. It really really is true. That level of vulnerability as you put it yeah it's hard to sort of generate that sometimes in the real world or to find a safe place like that in the world and we're at camp it's crazy how many people i think i could be that comfortable and vulnerable with yeah (laughs) and 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 a lot of uh and a lot of the years that that i've spent outside of camp and growing up and going through my journey uh has uh involved uh uh, in different parts of the country, being parts of groups mm-hmm. and and leading groups and participating in groups, uh, where uh, the tone is set at the beginning that this is a place where there is no shaming and where uh, there's permission to be with each other in a way where we can care about each other even at a different level and support one another right and while it's not so typical in a camp culture i'm guessing anywhere for them or most places how wonderful it would be for children at an earlier age to be invited into an opportunity to share some of the things that go on with them that uh, are most scary and are most difficult uh uh, so that uh, they can find out they're not alone because so many people in that little circle have a lot of those same things going on. I, I, I once was leading a group in a high school with all teens where you stay very cool because that's the M.O. She was asked to lead a group in high school, and um, we have check-ins at the beginning. And I remember... One kid, his name's Javier, I think, I don't remember exactly, I think it was, said, well, you know, uh, my mom died this week. Wow. 
And all of a sudden, you couldn't hear a pin drop hmm. in that circle. And every eye was on this kid. And when he was invited to take a look around just for a minute with no words and notice how many people were looking at him and uh, what was coming from them hmm. without words, he started to tear up. Hmm. And it was a precious moment. And... Uh, there's such an amazing opportunity for more of those precious moments to come into children's lives yeah. in different settings. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's finding a way to let them sort of access that and, and acknowledge it. I mean, I think it's easier once, you know, once we come back as grownups or once we we're there as grownups to sort of see those moments happen. I mean, one of our uh, fellow camp guys who was at camp this summer had a significant tragedy happen and it was clear that exactly what you're talking about. Like it's, a, you know, we're all camp, we're all having fun and games, but when that real thing happens, immediately the family steps up. We're all ready. What can we do? How can we help? You know, and if we could sort of open that idea at a younger age, let them know when they're still camper age, that that kind of caring is there. The door is open if you and, need it. And that it's invited. Yeah. Because one of the greatest things that we can provide each other with is uh, is uh, from the heart love and yeah. caring. That's, you know, uh, uh, in the world that we live in, so much is driven by get the degrees and make a good living and C and D and E. And while all those things are sure important, um, there are so many other things that uh, are precious and important. And when you have children in a setting... Uh, as wonderful as Ojibwa is, mm -hmm. and next to nature. I mean, the irony is that from the eagles nesting to uh, to what's happening just 20 feet behind the cabins, uh, there's a whole other world there. Yeah. Uh, and to re-engage, to have a chance to really re-engage with that world and to know who we really are mm -hmm. instead of who we may be told we are, is um, uh, it's a it's a great classroom. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Let's go back a little bit and talk about um, just a little bit about your camp experience. So you're there with, when Al's there, and now in those days, is Al still sort of running camp, or is Mickey kind of taking over? Boys, boys, was. Uh, uh, it's a hard act to follow. Yeah. Mickey has a whole different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, Denny's way is different than... And so everybody's got a different way. Uh, uh, Al was a pretty amazing guy. Mm. Um, who... Uh, uh, as I said, he's a hard act to follow. He he was so involved and concerned, considerate. Uh, he had different sides to him. Mm. Uh, he could be as sensitive as all heck, and sometimes he could be not sensitive. Yeah. Uh, he was just a human being. 
as a camper, were you able to sort of have a relationship, like a one-on-one relationship at all with him, or was it more like he oh, was I, the... I, I did. Yeah. I did. Um, and uh, uh, he was there to call me in sometimes, almost like the principal in grade school, mm. uh, and uh, uh, talk to me about what's reasonable and what's right. Um, uh, I did some acting out when I was at camp uh, over a lot of issues. Nobody knows what happens with people back home. and sure, Everybody's got their own things going on. Uh, and uh, um, not all of it is still clear to me about exactly when those things took place and when they didn't, but I relied on him as somebody that I could go to if I needed to. Hmm. Uh, maybe not as much as I would have liked. Sure. Um, but uh, there was some latitude at camp uh, around uh, uh, what was allowed in terms of uh, discipline or so on and so forth uh, that uh, sometimes went a little further than uh, than probably could have or should have. Sure. But I think in any environment like this, you know, uh, it's really impossible to oversee and manage every little thing that goes on. Right, of course. Uh, and you mean sort of like from the counselors to the campers, yeah, that yeah, kind of a thing. Yeah, certainly. counselors to campers and, and uh, uh, there not being some interventions that should take place hmm. at times when they definitely should take place. Certainly. Uh, and so there, you know, there, there can be things that can go on and, uh, you know, and the world's not a perfect world. Uh but for the most part, because I don't want to move into, you know, uh, I don't want to color this negative at all. Sure. Uh, um, it, it's not the same cocoon, protective cocoon, that uh, a lot of us had uh, from one parent or both at home. Right. If yeah. we had that. Yeah, I think, and again, just not to go super negative on things, but from what I hear from the guys that I talked to from that sort of period, the fifth, the even the forties, but the fifties and sixties really primarily talking about that. Um, you know, this is way before we care about bullying yet. Bullying is such a, a catchphrase now and everyone's worried about bullies and anti-bullying and all that sort of stuff. But this is 40 years before any of that comes into play. And so bullying is just an, sort of an accepted behavior. Yeah, it's just it part of what just, it was. You know, it was, there were alpha yeah. You know, there were there were alpha people in each group, and there were non you know alpha males. Yeah, uh, and and in an all boys camp, so it's all testosterone, it's all teenage right. hormone fueled. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's and there were all the things that go with the testosterone, and uh, you know there were all kinds of things that went on at camp. Yeah. But I think it's safe to say that 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 piece has changed significantly, and that is no longer. It's certainly not the camp today. Um, it wouldn't, it just couldn't. It, it, it couldn't again, we're with. just there, you know, four or five days. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I don't think anywhere there's a perfectly controlled environment, but uh, I believe that um, that whatever wounding comes to children in any experience, that it provides an opportunity for them to be come stronger at the broken places. Mm. Uh, and uh, if they're not going to get it at camp, uh, they're going to get it at home from an alcoholic parent or a dysfunctional parent or in some other direction. And so much of what, for me, what much of what life is about is uh, moving along and uh, when you're wounded, uh, take a breath and uh, work through it and uh, use it as putty to, you mm. know, to create your pot for life. Yeah, it's very well put. I always ask everyone to give me, uh, sort of wrap up with one or two great little camp stories. One day after uh, or before uh, a powwow, my buddy Lloyd Marks came up to me and he said, we got to get you out of here. And I said, why? He said, because I think they're going to be really rough on you. Mm. And uh, 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 after the powwow. And I said, uh, and I was scared. And I said, what do you think I ought to do? He said, follow me. And we went out in the woods and took with blankets and a flashlight, and there were no cell phones back there. Sure. And he said, you'll be fine here. They won't find you. And I wound up spending the night in the woods. Wow. (laughs) And uh, I was scared shitless, and I sat there, and I thought to myself, am I better off going back and being, <laughs> right. and being beaten, or will, or should I stay here and get eaten by a bear? Right, exactly. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, you know, I don't even know, I was just a kid. I was just a kid. Um, so that's a story and I'm sure that Denny will want to edit out of this. (laughs) He has no creative control, just for the record. (laughs) Well, I think that, you know, one of the things that stands out to me was um, that I had a high soprano voice and I had a a good voice. And that was a big thing. A lot of us were musical then. Mm. You know, Lou Magor is now part of the old timers and he stepped in and he was a force uh, way back in music. But... A lot of us, were, we knew all the songs and all the lyrics going way the heck back from uh, collegiate week, minstrel shows and whatever. Mm-hmm. But I remember there was a production uh, of The Wizard of Oz. And I think Benji Weller, older than I am, uh, who knows if he's even still around, was Oz. And I remember some of the players and uh, Diz was in the play and I was Dorothy. <laughs> and I I was Dorothy, and I had to paint my good tennis shoe silver. Oh. Which really pissed off my mother. I'm sure. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Uh, and the whole place just went into another zone. Mm. Uh, 
uh, when that gift of having that young soprano voice uh, came out. Yeah. And uh, uh, it was probably one of my moments in the light. Mm. In, in camp for me where I felt really good uh, about uh, being in it and uh, even though I needed to come back and uh, explain why my good tennis shoes needed to be painted uh, <laughs> silver and I remembered enough about the script and everything came out okay. Uh, I think socials mm. were... Uh, kind of a neat thing, you know, dancing with girls from the other camp. Mm, yeah. And dressing up a little bit and uh uh, uh I think playing third base on the ten and under, eleven and under, twelve and under, uh thirteen and other teams and you know, having a strong arm and being a good hitter was really a plus. Mm. Uh Playing next to some guys who had amazing, uh, I mean, Steve Landsman, Ira Keishan, Shelley Gottlieb. Uh, there were so many guys back then, Jay Maul, uh, who just were uh, great athletes. Mm. I mean, were great ball players. Uh, and I loved it. I loved competing and I loved doing well and uh, uh, I loved the fresh air. Mm. Yeah, and uh, I loved being uh, tapped at the middle of the night and have somebody hand me in a Cleary's quart container a chocolate malt. <laughs> uh, and uh, That's huge. I felt loved. Yeah, that's yeah. huge. Yeah, I said, hey, baby, that's love. <laughs> I, said, I, said, I like that stuff. <laughs> so... Uh, uh, yeah, so lots of, lots of memories, lots of memories. I'm so glad that my family, uh, blessed me by giving me the opportunity. I had an especially close relationship with my dad, mm. who was not happy that I went to camp at four and a half, but knew it would be best for me in light of our family dynamics at home. And he rented a little cabin on the other side of the fence of camp at this overnight camp for four weeks so he could go like this to me and wave. Wow. Yeah, so that's the kind of relationship I had with that amazing man that I still carry on with my own son. Yeah, that's wonderful. Okay, that is it. Another one in the books. Wanks. Jerry Wilinka. If you want to get in touch with the Camp Ojibwe History Podcast, you know how. Drop me an email, Christopher at CampoJibwehistory.org. Or swing by the website, www.campojibwehistory.org. As I mentioned, the, the national tour continues. I'm in Spokane tonight, coming back across the north. If you are out there and would like to get interviewed and you're on my path, Drop me an email. I'll stop by. We'll have a great chat. 
that is it. It's a rainy, rainy day here in Washington. I'm starting to get the impression that's all that ever happens here. So no going outside for me tonight. I'm just going to sit back and watch the rest of these non-Kentucky teams play for a title. Thank you.